Hey, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Glad you're here. Yeah. At all of our locations right now here in the room in Newark, everyone at our online location, you're logged in from somewhere around our region or maybe somewhere else in the world. Glad you're here. And then to our church family at Hocassin, Newark, will you help me show some love to everybody? Yeah. And whether you are a dad or have a dad or, like me, uh, have lost a dad and today's maybe a little bit bittersweet or tough for you, we want to honor all of our fathers today. And I especially want to take a moment and honor my father-in-law, uh, Roger. He is a part of our church family, and uh, he's not always able to get uh, here in person because he's had some health problems, but I love him so much. Just want, Roger, you to know that you are like a second dad to me. And I wanted to say thank you for allowing me to marry your daughter with no money and not much of a plan. <laughs> so, yeah. So I remember the day that I asked my father-in-law for uh, his, his daughter's hand in marriage. And uh, he, he gave me the opportunity to elope. Uh, he said, I'll give you some money if you elope. And uh, I said, well, will you throw in your car? He said, no, no deal. And uh, then, you know, we got serious and he said, well, how are you going to take care of her? And I said, well, it's, we're not going to be rich, but I promise you, I will take good care of your daughter. And 25 years later, I think, um, at least 80% of the time I am doing what I promised to do. I ho hopefully I'm doing okay. So happy Father's Day. Well, it's week three of a series that we've been in called Undaunted. And if you're joining us for the first time at any of our locations, a big welcome to you. Hope you're having a great experience so far. And very glad that you're here. We've, we've been talking about living your life boldly, and if you are uh, new today and you want to kind of get caught up on the series, you can watch the first two installments of this series on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can get kind of caught up to speed, and we're looking at the lives of some people in the Bible who lived life with confidence and courage and boldness, and we're talking about what it could look like uh, for us to live bold lives, courageous lives. And we have this image many times in our minds when we think about being bold or strong or courageous, confident, whatever it is, we think that that means doing things on our own, right? It's kind of the image that comes to mind, the courageous person standing alone against the odds. And as a result, sometimes we have a hard time asking for help. I struggle with that. I don't know how many of us today uh, deal with this, but I'm getting better um, because I've realized there's so many areas in my life I need help, you know? Uh, but I struggle with it. I don't like asking for help with directions. I don't like asking for help with lifting things or finding things or basically anything. I just, I would prefer to be able to do it on my own. And uh, I wonder how many of us today, just all of our locations, just show of hands if you're in the room or if you're online, just let us know. Put a hand raise emoji in the comments. How many of you struggle with asking for help? How many of you? Uh, how many of us specifically uh, men? How many men you, you struggle with asking for help? How many men struggle with it? Okay, uh, if you're sitting next to someone who you know struggles asking for help and they didn't lift their hand, just reach over and help them, okay? They're not going to ask, so you're, you're going to have to just assume, you need, you need help, man, I'm going to help you out. And it is true sometimes that being bold and confident and courageous does mean choosing a path that nobody else seems to want to take in a relationship maybe or with our finances, we have to kind of go against the against the current and against the crowd and against what's, what's normal and common. Maybe with our health, we have to stand alone at least for a season. How committed we're going to be in our faith. You know, you can't delegate your faith out. Uh, you, if you're married, you can't be like, well, my wife loves God. That should be good enough for me. Actually, it doesn't work that way. 
got to make a choice on our own. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to dial in to getting close to God, exploring what that looks like, taking steps to grow in my faith. There's some stuff that ultimately nobody can do for us. We have to be willing to stand alone. So then the question, the tension arises when we think, well, if I want to live an undaunted life, and again, the definition of that word is a life not intimidated or discouraged by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. If I want to live that way, confidently, courageously, how do I know when I need to stand alone and how do I know when I need a little help? So I'm glad you asked, or I'm glad I asked for you, okay? Because you needed help. You weren't going to ask, so I'm asking for you. So here we go. Ready? Long, long ago, in a land far, far away, there lived a man by the name of Moses. So all throughout this series, we've been looking at these, what seem like larger-than-life characters in the Bible who lived confidently and courageously, and Moses is the one we're going to look at today. So Moses was the leader of the Israelites, who were a people group who had been slaves in the nation of Egypt, actually for a long time, for over 400 years, and then they were rescued by the power of God. You can read about this in the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament of the Bible, or you can watch Prince of Egypt. Those are two options. I recommend actually both. Uh, The Bible is the more accurate account, but Prince of Egypt is pretty cool. And uh, you can read about this amazing, amazing account. And Moses leads the people uh, to this new promised land. And uh, it is Prince of Egypt, right? Is that the right one? Okay, good. I want to make sure I got the right one. Uh, Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he's leading them toward a land that God has promised them. So God has made this promise, and you have to understand this promise was made centuries before. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this place. It's going to be your own place. I'm going to take care of you. You are going to be my people But on the way to the promised land, they have to travel through the wilderness. There's a journey, there's a path through a desert place, and it's it's the in-between. How many of you have experienced the in-between? You're between where you are now and where you believe that you can be, your destiny, your future, maybe what you believe God has for you. There's often a journey and there's a path in between. As we think about Juneteenth, this is a story, the story of Moses that many enslaved African-Americans looked to for hope as they prayed for their own freedom. They They were enslaved, but they believed that a day would come when they could be free. It's a powerful, powerful account. And at one point, Moses leads the Israelites to a place called Rephidim. And uh, it's a place where they've been on their journey for, at this point, only just a few weeks. It will end up being 40 years. They don't know that yet. Sometimes we don't know how long it's going to take. And at Rephidim, the people start crying out to Moses for water. They're thirsty. They're in a wilderness place. They have no source of fresh water. And so Moses asks God for help. He knows, man, I, can't, I don't know how to answer these people's needs. I don't know how to do this thing. So he goes to God, and God tells Moses to hit a large rock with his staff, which is a wooden stick that Moses has had with him for many, many years. He brought it with him from a previous life, so to speak, when he was a shepherd. Before he was a great leader of the people of Israel, he was just a shepherd in the desert himself, but he had this stick, this staff, and God says, I want you to strike the rock with the staff, and when Moses does that, Water comes gushing out. It's a miracle. God provides in a place where it seems like there's no solution. And it's an amazing moment, but here's what happens next. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. So imagine this, how disorienting this moment is. The people have 
been thirsty. They've cried out to Moses. Moses had gone to God, asked for help. So the people asked Moses for help. Moses is like, I'm going to need a higher power beyond me. He goes to God, asks for help. God provides water. It's a miracle. And while they're still drinking this water and enjoying this moment, a bunch of Amalekites violently descend on them. They may be like, oh, I've never heard of the Amalekites. They were one of many people groups who did not want to see Israel get to the promised land. They wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. And it's an intense moment. And there are a lot of stories in the Old Testament like this, violent, intense, chaotic, that actually, if we'll look at them through the right lens, prepare us or can prepare us for some of the conflicts we face in this life. And we are fighting not physical enemies. In fact, the New Testament, the Bible is very clear since Jesus came, our battle is no longer against flesh and blood. So change your plans for later today. Tough crowd. Okay, so <laughs> our battle is that you're like, I was going to beat somebody up. Not anymore. <laughs> Jesus said, forgive your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, turn the other cheek when it comes to our physical enemies, but we are very much engaged in some battles we cannot see. And this is very important. If you're new to your faith, if you're trying to explore what it looks like to follow Jesus, you're taking those first few steps, you need to know you are going to run into some battles along the way that you can't see with your eyes. And you might think it's a person, you might think it's a physical battle, and it might be at some level, but another level is the spiritual conflict we're involved in. And in those moments when we're fighting a battle we can't see and we can't win on our own, we need help. So I want to tell you as a church, as a church family, community of faith, we are fighting battles. But we're not fighting against each other or other churches or other religions. We're fighting against oppressive forces that want to keep people down in our region. We're very passionate about this and we're not weird about it. But we just understand, man, we are fighting against hunger and homelessness and addiction and poverty and loneliness and spiritual lostness, which is people's greatest need, and despair and the things that are holding people down. One of the ways we do that, here's how we fight now. Since Jesus came, he showed us a new way to fight. We don't fight with weapons. We don't fight with our fists. We don't fight with our physical strength. Instead, what we do is we love people who are underserved and overlooked, and we come alongside them, and we help them, and that's how, by lifting up the people Jesus died for, we press down the enemy who's fighting against them. Yeah. And one of the ways we're going to do that together in just a few weeks, we call it Love Week, and it, we, all year long, we serve people in need. Every week, we're, we're helping people who are hungry and serving in our just had an event this weekend for our special needs uh, population in, our, in this community, and we're just serving people, serving families, no strings attached, loving people. But once a year for a week, we all do it together, and we roll up our sleeves, become the hands and feet of Jesus, serving those who feel like they have no voice and no hope. And I'm just telling you, you were made to fight, and if you don't find something worth fighting for, you will fight for something not worth fighting for. Some of you wonder why you're so irritable. It's because you have energy that you have not pointed in the right direction. Now, you probably, that went like this, but the person who came with you made a note to have a conversation <laughs> later. Like, you know, pastor said, I just, what do you think of that? <laughs> well, I don't like it. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about. <laughs> you were made to fight. I was made to fight. It was put in us. We just choose the wrong enemies. And when we understand that we were created by God to fight, 
by serving the people Jesus died for, by giving our lives away and helping other people, then we start to walk in our purpose. And by the way, if you're here, you've been coming maybe for a few weeks or months, you're not serving on the J team yet, come to Plugged In and we'll help you find a way to use your gifts to serve people because people are worth fighting for. It's just, we believe that as a church, people are worth fighting for and the way we fight is to serve. So the Amalekites attack the Israelites It's chaos, disorder, everybody's running around, what's going on? Where is God in this moment? And Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God. So remember that wooden stick, I'm gonna hold that in my hand. And when I was a kid, uh, we would pick teams for stuff. Baseball, street hockey, basketball, you know, we just, we'd choose two captains and we'd pick teams. And uh, look at me. I never got picked first, all right? If you're like, oh, shocker. Yes, I never got picked first. Now, I, I never, I don't remember ever getting picked last because I had passion. I was always like, you know, like, ready. What I did not have was size, talent, or any athletic genes whatsoever, but I, had, but I had passion. So I would get picked like second to last or third to last most of the time. And then sometimes because I was so, I had a big mouth and so they'd make me captain, you know, I could choose wisely. I couldn't play well, but I could choose wisely. It's kind of my story of success here, to be honest with you. I just, I've chosen really good people to lead alongside me. And yeah, so... How many of us, just show of hands, you got picked first in sports? It's okay, humble brag, it's all right, it's all right. You got picked first, just be honest, you're the MVP, you've got the trophies. When you were a kid, I mean, you rocked the playground, you were just the one who was always like, well, you know. Yep. How many of us, like me, all of our locations, how many of us got picked in the lower 30th percentile? (laughs) It's just, where are my lower 30th percentile? And it's okay, because now you're a senior VP, and the rest of us are jealous. We're like, yeah, I probably should have. Okay, so Moses tells Joshua... Pick your team. I want you to go choose some people because it's time to fight. And it's a battle worth fighting, so you're going to need help. So go choose a team. Now, Moses is a leader. Joshua is a leader. If you read the story of Moses, actually, he came to a critical moment early on leading the Israelites when he realized, I can't do this on my own. And God actually used his father-in-law honored my father-in-law earlier. Moses had a very wise father-in-law who told him, you are exhausted. You're going to burn out. You need to empower some other people to lead with you. And so Moses chose all these other leaders and Joshua was one of them. But under Joshua, there were leaders. And under those leaders, there were leaders. And under those leaders, there were leaders. And it was a well, as crazy as it may sound, this group of people in the wilderness, they were well organized. And they understood we, we need leaders. Did you know we need leaders? We need leaders. Now, I get the response because we're all a little hesitant to go, we need leaders. Why? Because we've been burned. We've seen some leaders over the years. Leaders have gotten a bad rap in general because a few high-profile ones have done some stupid, selfish stuff. And so a lot of us are like, well, you know, I don't know. Might be better off without leaders, just looking at some of the ones we've had, just in general. And that may apply to religion, politics, whatever sphere. We get a little bit Concerned because a few people who are in it for the wrong reasons get the headlines. But the reality is we need leaders. Now I was telling you, we need leaders. It's just that we need good leaders, not perfect leaders, because they don't exist. Anytime you see someone who seems like a perfect leader, they're just hiding some things well. 
That's why you don't want a perfect leader. You want a leader who goes, I am very much not perfect, but I am in it for the right reasons. And that's the kind of leaders we need. I'm telling you, families need leaders. Did you know that? If you're a dad or a mom, your kid needs you, kid or kids, whether they're little or teenagers, they need you to be a leader. They do not need you to be their buddy. <laughs> they're with you, so you're, you're nervous, like they're beside you, so you're like, oh, I'm with you, but I'm scared to death of my 11-year-old, so I'm just not. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> they don't need you. Now, they may say they do, uh, you know, they get all upset when you enforce boundaries and create rules. And I'm just telling you, they need you to be a leader. They just don't know how to express that yet. Now, they don't need you to be a dictator. There's a difference between a leader and a dictator. A leader is in it for the good of the person they're leading. A dictator is in it for their own good. And your kids can tell the difference. But they do need you to be a leader. They don't need you to be absent. They don't need you to be their buddy. They need you to be a leader. Groups need leaders. Churches need leaders. Nations need leaders. We need leaders. And Jesus' model of leadership is this. The greatest leader is the one who leans in and helps other people the most consistently. The real, the real leaders are the ones who go, this isn't about me. I'm not this, in this for my own bottom line. I'm trying to help other people go further. I'm trying to help other people get where they need to go. That's real leadership. And great leaders know they need help. So if you're a leader on any level, or if you've got kids, or if you've got anybody in your sphere of influence, Maybe God's leaning in on you right now saying, I, don't, I need you to be a leader in some areas. I need you to step up and to do that, you're going to have to admit you can't do it on your own. And that's what Moses tells Joshua. He doesn't say, go fight Amalek on your own. He says, choose some people to fight with you. So let me ask you this. Whether you consider yourself a leader or not, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, listen, have you chosen some people to fight the battles that count with you? Can you name them off? Have you talked to them in the last 48 hours? And if you have chosen, have you chosen well? Do you have friends who deepen your character or friends who act like character isn't important? Or do you have no friends so you're the only person deciding what your character will become? Do you have people in your life, have you chosen people to do life with who increase your capacity, who stretch your thinking and your faith? Or you just have a lot of people in your life who talk a lot but don't do much that impacts anything that matters? Do you have champions around you or critics? I'm always nervous when I have people in my life who are, who are just very critical. Not of me, but of other, because I'm like, if you'll do it about them, you will do it about me one day. And it has proven to be true, just so you know. So do you have champions around you or do you have people who just have really quick thumbs? This is what I feel, post. Have you chosen well? Some of you are gonna go home and take some people out of your social media friend list and I think that is a gift from God. I th full permission. Just be like, sorry, I just don't wanna steadily be reminded how bad everybody but you is. So I'm not right with that picture. Have you chosen well? If I'm gonna win at the battles that matter in life, I'm gonna need some people to fight with me, not to fight with me, but to fight with me. 
to come alongside me. Maybe, maybe we could build an undaunted life if there were no Amalekites. But the truth is, there are. There, life is going to throw some stuff at us. You just need to know, I need to know the Amalekites are going to attack that dream we have and that business we started and that ministry we feel called to, that nonprofit we're passionate about, that career we're attempting to get going, that marriage we are working to save, that friendship we know is worth fighting for, that family we're trying to love, those kids we're trying to raise. The Amalekites are coming, so choose some people to fight with you for what matters because an undaunted life is built on connected courage. Not isolated arrogance, connected courage. Moses tells Joshua, choose some people and go fight. I'm going to climb this hill, stand at the top, hold the staff of God, that wooden stick that God had used so many times in Moses' past. You know, sometimes God will leave something in your present from your past, not to shame you, but to remind you how far you've come and that you can't do it without him. And so Moses says, Joshua, I'm going to climb this hill. I'm going to hold the staff over you. Now, you might be saying, well, I thought you said Moses was a leader. Why is he sending Joshua to fight? And he goes and climbs a hill. Moses is old. Like in his 80s at this point. He can't do a lot against the Amalekites physically. But he knows he still has a part to play. So he climbs another hill and he invests in the next generation. And he stretches out his staff over them, which represents his prayers and his affirmation and his life experiences and his blessing. And it's interesting that he stretches that out over the people. He's basically saying, here's what I've learned about God. He's faithful. You can trust him. You can count on him. I'm going to hold out over you the faithfulness of God. Let me speak to any of us who might feel like Maybe our time has passed. Maybe we're in our 40s or 50s or 60s or beyond, and we're thinking, this is Joshua's battle now. No. You know what the students and young people in this church need from you? They need you to stand in a high place and stretch out over them your prayers and your encouragement and your blessing and what you've learned about the faithfulness of God. They don't need you to give up on them. They don't need you to write them off. I've heard some people say, well, you know, this next generation, you never get a right to criticize a generation you haven't fully invested in. Whenever I hear somebody's going, you know, these, I used to hear it 10 years ago, it's these millennials. Now it's these Gen Zs. How about we stop criticizing and we start going, I'm stretching out the faithfulness of God over you. I'm believing that the same God was with me is going to be with you. You say, but they're doing it differently than we did. Yeah, we're doing it differently than the generation before us did. Who's doing it differently than the generation before them did? And that's good because they had like horses and covered wagons. Like it's good, it's good that we're doing it differently. Don't get caught up. Yeah, this is good. This is, I feel good about this. I feel good. This is a, I'm giving myself a seven out of 10 on that one. I feel strong. And you know what? If you're in your teens or your 20s or your 30s, same is true for you. You need to look at the generation that's gone before you and don't write them off. Don't say that they're irrelevant. Receive their blessing. Ask for it. Ask for their help. Ask them, would you pray for me? You've seen some things that God has done in your life, and I need that stretched out over my life. This is what we need to do. We need to be willing to receive those blessings and those instructions and those prayers. 
from generation to generation. You catching this, everybody? We need to be willing to ask for help. We need to be willing to invest. So Moses tells Joshua, go fight, choose some people. And Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. And meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, which was his brother and friend, climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. It's fun to have an advantage, isn't it? Anybody like having an advantage? Say, well, I don't want to cheat. No, I mean when you have an advantage and everybody knows you have an advantage. It's just fun. An advantage gets you to the front of the line. An advantage gives you a better chance of winning the game. An advantage is when you're reading a book or watching a movie, but you already know how it ends. It's an advantage. Everybody else is kind of on the edge of their seat and you're like, man, it's interesting, but I know, I think I know how this turns out. God wants you to have the advantage in life. Did you know that? I don't mean that he wants everything to go smoothly for you. That's actually not how you gain the advantage. But God wants you to have the advantage. He does not want you terrified when struggles and obstacles come the same way someone who doesn't have a God is terrified. He wants you to have the advantage. So how do you get the advantage in life? Well, it's very simple. You need a God that you trust and you need some other people you're connected with because an undaunted life is built on connected courage. I'm connected to God. I'm connected to a few other people. We gain the advantage when we stop trying to fight the battles that matter alone and we ask for help. Moses is in his 80s, but he does exactly what he told Joshua to do. It's Joshua's job to go fight physically, Moses' job to climb the hill, but neither of them do it alone. Joshua chooses some people. Moses takes some people with him to climb the hill because Moses has learned enough along the way to know alone is not good. And sure enough, Moses' arms, remember he's standing at the top of the hill holding the staff of God over the people, the blessing, the encouragement, the prayers. But his arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her, the people he intentionally brought with him, found a stone for him to sit on, and then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. You ever have a spotter at the gym? So this is someone who stands behind you while you're lifting a really heavy weight to make sure you don't hurt, don't hurt yourself. So it's your job to lift the weight, but if something goes wrong, the spotter's there so they can help support the weight. Now, I've never needed one. I've never lifted weights that heavy, but, <laughs> but I have needed a lot of spotters in other areas of my life. I look back at some of the stuff I've faced over the years. I've needed some spotters. When the weight of being a husband and a dad felt like too much, I needed some spotters. I needed some people in my life who were like, hey, it's your job to lift it, but we're here supporting you. We're praying for you. Encouraging